and they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. It's ridiculous that they do. That was a huge calling. Well, we didn't miss it. You know, the typical rah, 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 zip, boom, bye, boom. You don't cuss. You don't drink. So what are your vices? I have been known to, uh, to chew a bit of tobacco when I get a little tired or watching film. Hey, I'm Cole Joe. I just love my Hummer. I have my Hummer. You need a Hummer. Tell them about it, Jojo. They've won the biggest championship, and that's a championship of life. Gas control. Everybody just do your job. You understand that? Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Doing pretty good, Shane. So, obviously, the last spring game here in the SEC was last weekend, Georgia spring game. So, we're going to break that down to open the show. But before we get into that, Shane, have you heard the latest from Gainesville? What's going on down there? You know, we love to talk about it, but uh, them Gators love to get in trouble during the offseason. Last offseason, it was the players. Now it's the coaching staff, Shane. Did you hear about this? Oh, wait. Yeah, I did see this one. So Florida's assistant director of player personnel is a guy by the name Otis. I want to say this right. I don't want to mess it up. Otis Yelverton. And what this guy did, apparently, Shane, he's being charged with a third degree felony down in Gainesville. Uh Uh-oh. He's apparently he's left 40 either text messages, Facebook messages, or voicemails to an ex-girlfriend. He threatened to blow up her car. (laughs) You can't be doing that. Old old Yellowton's been suspended by Dan Mullen. This is a guy that he brought with him from Starkville, obviously when he was at Mississippi State. Uh, Thoughts on a Florida assistant threatening to blow up a car of an ex-girlfriend, Shane? Yeah, that's not good. I I mean, the 40 messages, I I can see that, you know. I mean, I've been mad at my wife before, and if she's left me 40 messages, I didn't call the cops, but... She didn't say she'd go blow me up either, Mike. So uh, she did that. That's a, that's a whole different ball game. So that sucks. What 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 did he do down there? Uh, so he was primarily a recruiter. Now, obviously, he wasn't on the ten man full staff, but oh, see, he's used to calling and texting. I mean, we can't fault the man for that, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was his primary duties down there in Gainesville, big time. You know, a talent evaluator, I guess you could say, and, and helped in the recruiting department. He's known as a recruiter there in Gainesville and, like I said previously, at Mississippi State. So uh, this is someone I think they're easily just going to get rid of if it's true. I mean, these are just allegations from a police report. So, you know, you kind of hope it's not true. But if it is, I think this is uh, someone that his career down in Florida is obviously coming to an end. Yeah, I saw somebody put, uh, what was it called? What was he charged with? Aggravating? Aggravated uh, cyber harassment. Yeah, and like <laughs> somebody says, but is it all cyber harassment aggravating? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not making fun of it. I mean, I'm glad everybody's safe, whatever. But I just thought that was a cool little joke. Yeah, we won't laugh if a car blows up, but until then, no, no, we're no, no, laugh. yeah, no, I'm not saying that. Not saying that at all. I just. I just thought that was kind of funny because they, you know, it does get aggravating online sometimes, especially especially if the Gator fans are coming after you. <laughs> All right, Shane, you ready to talk some Georgia spring game? Let's do it, buddy. Oh, dog, sick him! <laughs> Big spring game there in Athens. You know, the weather did not cooperate as well as, you know, we wanted there, but still got uh, plenty of decent action there from the game. 
What were your initial standouts, impressions from uh, the game there in Athens? Well, my initial reaction was, why the hell the game didn't come on until it was 10 to 10? <laughs> you know, I understand there's softball on, there's SEC network, we've got to share it. But, you know, Mike, and I'm not, I'm not against softball. I love softball. But this is the SEC football podcast, and obviously I love football more than softball. We'd be doing a softball podcast. <laughs> and what's frustrating about that is, like, the first 10, 20 minutes is what you really want to see because it's the ones and the ones. Nobody's getting – I mean, you're getting the best of the best. And, you know, it'd be one thing if we lost the last quarter, but – Anyway, uh, so needless to say, I didn't get to see the first part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I jumped in when it was 10 to 10. Uh, I thought Jake Fromm looked great. I thought the offensive line looked great. I thought Swift is probably my Heisman front runner right now. I just think he's just a freak athlete. Um, not, well, maybe not the biggest athlete on that team, but, you know, especially in the running backs because uh, what's his name? Oh, Zeus, uh, he's got some damn cannons on him. But uh, I really, I really liked the running game. I loved the way it looked. I, I thought the defense did good. I thought it had its moments. I'm a little worried about the receivers. I will tell you that, Mike. Yeah, that was something that definitely stood out to me in this game. Although I did, th- I thought the tight end Charlie Warner. I thought he looked pretty solid. I think that's going to be their starting tight end next year. Hell, but... hey, dude, hell of an athlete. Let's just, I mean, he's got, he's got the frame for it. I think he could be. I think he could be very dangerous in the SEC next year. I, I, I know he was worried, uh, you know, Kirby was worried about death at that position, but mm-hmm. I, I, thought, I thought he shined, man. Yeah, so I'll tell you, Shane, since you missed the beginning of this, once the broadcast began, they were talking up a receiver by the name of Matt Landers, and apparently someone on the team says he's Randy Moss and he doesn't even know it yet. Uh-oh. And I was trying to I was I knew the name, but I... Don't recall it at all. I looked it up online, Shane. This is someone that uh, I wrote about last year. He was the scout team player of the year 2017. And I just didn't see it. And that that stuck out to me more than anything. They're talking about this guy being the damn Randy Moss. I think that's just because they don't have anyone else. I mean, he, he is very tall. He looks like he can jump, but... Beyond those attributes, Shane, he's not—he's no Randy Moss. <laughs> I mean, that was—that's a, a foolish <laughs> thing to say, and I, I think it goes to the just what they've got at that position. Now they do got four talented receivers still coming in, coming in during the summer. So I'm not—I'm not totally concerned because, like we've hit on many times before, I think Georgia's going to have the best offensive line in the SEC. Jake yeah. Fromm may be the best quarterback in the SEC if he's not. He's number two. Uh, and with a quality tight end and maybe the best backfield in the SEC, I, I have no issues with George's offense because I just think receiver is not going to play that big of a role. I think more times than not, they're just going to run over opponents and then Jake Fromm will do his thing when he has to. So I, it's not like I'm saying the receivers are going to hold them back, but if Matt Landers is your damn Randy Moss for Georgia, I think you got serious issues with this receiving core. One yeah. one thing you did miss, Shane, at the beginning here, Eric Stokes, the defensive back, he had a pick six, so he looked pretty solid. Uh, Tyson Campbell, the young defensive back, I thought he stood out to me. And then, you know, obviously a lot of Georgia fans, they know what they're getting in Jake Fromm, but they wanted to see the backups compete. 
Dewan Math- Mathis, the true freshman, Stetson Bennett, the guy that was on the team, then he went to JUCO, now he's back on the team. That was a nice little battle there, and I thought Stetson Bennett, it's clear, you know, based on what everything the players have been saying and the coaching staff, you kind of already assumed Bennett was ahead, but I thought it was night and day different because Mathis, to me, while he looks like he has potential, he just looks like an athlete out there. It's not to say that, that there's anything wrong with that. He's a true freshman, just got to campus, but I don't, I don't think they can count on him next season to do anything of consequence. So if, uh, God forbid, anything happens to Jake Fromm or maybe they're just blowing someone out and they need someone to kind of come in there and finish it off, that, it, to me, it's clearly going to be Stetson Bennett at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. Man, he had that – you said one pass he had and the pocket was collapsing. That was beautiful, beautiful ball he threw. Yeah, he threw a 44-yard touchdown pass to J.J. Holloman who – you know, we talk about the receivers. We kind of downplay them a little bit. But Holloman, I think, is poised to have a really big breakout season. I think he's going to be their number one target on the outside. How about this, Shane? I think they kind of – I think they were kind of playing coy with the spring game. Obviously, they know it's televised. They threw 83 passes and only 32 runs. I think that's going to be flip-flopped, you know, when there's actual meaningful games being played out there. I think they're just going to be run dominant. But – I was kind of disappointed. Demetrius Robertson, he was ill, they said, so we didn't get to see him. Zamir White, the man with the guns, he did not play, so we didn't get to see him. I was really looking to see how he came back from his uh, knee issues there. I I understand why they wouldn't play him in the spring game, but just really wanted to see him out there. I'm hoping that he's healthy for the coming season. I think think he will be. And then two two freshmen that really stood out to me, Shane, N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker. Yeah. I I think even though Georgia's got some really good linebackers, I think this true freshman is going to work his way up onto the rotation in some capacity. He may even start by the season's end. They're saying he's that good. And then the defensive back, Lewis Kine, I think he plays. he's going to play safety his, this uh, first year here in Athens. I think he's going to play himself into a rotation, maybe be a backup, which is uh, considering the talent that Georgia has. A true freshman coming in there and, and being in the second rotation, I think that's pretty solid. Oh, yeah, man. I, I, that's the beautiful part about it. I, I think Georgia, you know, had a lot of concerns with, with the defense. And I tell you what, the secondary was shining, man. I, I think, you know, they got all those guys back. I thought the defensive line looked good, you know, compared to who they're going against. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had moments of getting pressure back there on the quarterback. So the cool thing is that that's the benefit of having all those stars on your team, man. I think they've got probably probably more depth than anybody uh, going into this year. Now let's jump to Kirby Smart's post-game comments, Shane. And, of course, one popular topic was this offensive line. And he was asked about, you know, the starting five, the five that started the spring game. Are those your starters heading into the fall he kind of took exception to that question. He, he got a little – he did not care for it. So here's Kirby on that offensive line. Here we go. <laughs> so, uh, guys, we, we could have put any lineup out there, and those guys can't switch teams within games. So that was the number one line for that scrimmage. What they do in the offseason, what they work out like, how they do in school, how they compete in fall, there's still two springs left before the first game. So we have two more versions of what we just did before we play a game. And there's some guys that aren't here right now on the offensive line. So to say who's going to be out there, you guys will predict all that. It's going to come by what happens on the field for us. 
as a follow-up to the offensive line, how special can this group be given the experience? And you know they're going to hear a bunch of hype about how good they are. Do you think they've got the maturity? And does the competition alone for those positions help them from any kind of complacency set in? Sure, competition helps. I mean, we, we, we've had a great rotation. Guys have competed really hard at right guard. Cade Mays has done a great job competing over there. Right tackles really up for grabs. I mean, both guys are competing. There's a lot of positions in there that guys continue to get better. Can it be a strength of our team? Yeah, but so can a lot of positions. Um, I don't think that you get things off of forecasting or projections. You get them off doing it. And uh, we got to have them go out and play well to be a successful offense. All right, Shane. So I thought that, I just thought it was funny because, I, I mean, Kirby Smart's right. We're not going to know who's going to start until fall camp. I mean, and I think that's smart because for all the hype this offensive line's been getting, if they start reading their pub and they don't train hard in the summer, uh, I think this is just Kirby Smart's way of just keeping these guys motivated all summer. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I keep thinking of that, that NFL clip when he's talking about crowning them. You, mm-hmm. know? <laughs> you want to crown them, go ahead and crown them. You know? It's kind of like – but I, I think Kirby's right, you know, yeah, he knows what he has. He thinks he's got a lot more depth and a lot more positions. But, you know, you got to create the competition because if you don't, you get stagnant. It's going to catch up to you. So I just think he wants those boys to push each other, and that's a good that's a good place to be in, man. Now the position he's obviously least pleased with, I guess you could say, his receivers. We hit on it there, but uh, Kirby Smart also touched on that at the tail end of his uh, spring comp press conference. Kirby, we've asked you a lot about the wide receivers this spring. Did you know this game and then the last few weeks make you feel more confident about where they? You know, no, no. Okay. I'm, I never feel more confident about our receiving core because we just don't have numbers. I mean, it's it's the thinnest position. I mean, their D line tight end. It's said over and over and over and over, and it's probably more concerning than tight end only because those guys play on special teams, and we lost a tremendous amount of special team snaps out of our. Uh, wide receiver room, and I don't know the kids we got coming. I know the kids we got coming in, but I don't know how they're going to respond. You know, I don't know how they're going to respond to the first time they get hit in the mouth, first time they got to go compete against a guy one on one and answer the, the bell. So, we, you know, I, I'm not comfortable with where we are at receiver, certainly, no. All right, Shane. Kirby is not, not happy with his unit here. I guess he's just, I mean, more so the depth than anything. Uh, I know this is a, a position group that you've kind of questioned all off season. Do you, how big of a concern do you think this is for Georgia? Uh, I don't think it is. I, I think a lot of these – I mean, obviously there's a lot of fans that are concerned, but I, I think they're more excited about what's coming in. You've mentioned that, you know, they got four great receivers. A lot of them got experience coming in that they think is going to push for the depth chart. And uh, I think just – I think they're more anxious. Than, than nervous, you know. That it, that if a couple of these guys really shine next year, uh, a couple of these freshmen come in and start being playmakers, I, I think they'll be fine uh, because that's not the strength of their team. Their strength of their team is from quarterback, uh, the running backs, and the line. So when you have all that working, then it opens up avenues for the wide receivers, which if one or two of these new, new guys coming in hit, then they'll be in great shape, man. I mean, they – the guys that are out there are decent. You know, they, they move the ball up and down the field against a great defense. So uh, I'm not too concerned if I'm Georgia. Are you? I mean, hell, they threw 80 times. 
Yeah, I think this is really just, once again, I think this is Kirby just kind of motivating his guys, letting the younger receivers that haven't proved any. You know, he kind of, I made fun of uh, Matt Landers there for, for, you know, what they were saying, comparing him to Dan Randy Moss. But basically what Kirby Smart said about him in this press conference was, you know, he needs to be more consistent on special teams to find a role there. So I think he's just trying to push his guys before those four enrollees that have not yet arrived. They're going to arrive in the summer before they come in. Because otherwise, I think these guys are, I don't know, I, I he's a big believer in competition making everyone better. And if they do not continue to push themselves, they're going to get surpassed by these true freshmen. And I just don't think that's going to be a recipe for what Georgia is going to want, because in a critical situation, while these true freshmen may be awesome, I don't know if you really want to be leaning on them. Once the SEC season rolls around, you want them to more just kind of come in slowly and make an impact when they can, as opposed to having to lean on them in the passing game. I think he's just trying to avoid that. Yeah, but I mean, hell, we saw Alabama last year do it and and be very successful at it. So I, I just I don't get I don't get why we're that concerned. I mean, that's like you got all the pieces to the puzzle, but like two. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. and, and it's the depth at the tight end, and it's the depth at the wide receivers. But I don't think that's. I mean, that may get you in games like Alabama. Uh, you know the the tougher matchups, but I, I just I don't think it's going to be a problem for Georgia. By the time these games really start mattering, these guys, even if they are rookies or freshmen, you know they're going to have several games under the belt and be more experienced. So I, I think the recipe's there. They just got to find the pieces. Yeah, I think you you're probably right, but I would say the old the reason why it may be a concern, and it while it's a very slight concern. You know, the expectations right now in Athens are national championship, SEC championship. And like you said, to win these games, you're going to have to beat Alabama. You're going to have to beat Clemson, potentially, teams like that. And those teams are going to force those receivers to beat them. They are not going to let the offensive line and the running backs just manhandle them. They're going to stack up the box, make Jake Fromm, make these receivers, make the play. And yeah. I think Kirby knows that. So he's just trying to get everyone in a championship mindset because if I guess from what he's seen in the spring, what we just saw in the spring game, I don't think that's going to cut it against those teams. But like you said, we got so many months to prepare for that. Um, but it's championship or bust, man. That's why. <laughs> Dude, how many, how, many, uh, how many recruits do they have down there? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they had about 13 five-stars and 20-something four-stars. I mean, they had everyone down there. I was surprised they had a couple commits, but I, I was kind of expecting a couple five-stars to commit, and we didn't see yeah. that. But, uh, you know, like it's so early in the recruiting trail. Uh, it's definitely not cause for concern. But if anything, Georgia was really smart having their spring game last in the SEC. They just loaded up with talent this weekend. Oh, that was, it was a smart move. I thought it was great having all of them down there. Uh, another thing too, man. When Kirby came out, when they came out with the attendance for the Georgia game, I spent like four hours trying to figure out if there was some sort of stab back at the Gators, and I couldn't find it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought that up, Shane. Let's. Uh, that's the first thing we're going to hit on. But let's go around the league. All right, man. Let's do it. Now let's go now around let's the go league. Around the league. 
we, we haven't decided how we're going to play the guys. So and I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. You know, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. All our play. I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, just hear it over and over and you know like every other every third song it'll roll through within the crowd noise that you play at practice so you just uh, you get used to it it's, it's a catchy tune right I mean. this game's gonna be a street fight this game's gonna be a street fight i mean some of you guys don't know who kimbo slice is hopefully you do um, and you go back to it man this isn't a sanctioned fight this is a street fight i mean this is the sec so I man it's time it's time to put on the hard hat launch bail let's get to work All right, Shane, you kind of teased it there, but Dan Mullen, he's trolling Georgia once again. For everyone that missed it, obviously we touched on it on a previous podcast, Florida spring game attendance, 39,476. We all know what that stands for by this point. Georgia's 39 years since their last national championship, 476 games ago. Dan Mullen, now that Florida spring is in the books, you know, he's making his statewide tour. He goes to these uh, donor clubs and what have you and talks to the fans. And he was asked about that number. Where did he really come up with that uh, just to troll Georgia? And we don't have audio, but uh, I'm going to just do a Dan Mullen impersonation. Here's what he had to say about that number. Yeah, I had no idea. I don't even know how they came up with that number. The most random thing ever. But somebody started freaking out about it, I guess, until three days later, somebody put enough math together to go figure that one out. Maybe Georgia fans were really so uptight, they haven't won in 39 years. They got all that uptight and tried to figure it out. But it was pretty random, actually, and pretty funny. <laughs> so that's what old Dan Mullen had to say, Shane. And so I just thought it was hilarious. That, that, was that another stab that it took him three damn days to figure out this math problem? Well, <laughs> not so much that, but that he said it, you know, he brought it up once again that they haven't won in 39 years. He's talking about a national championship, obviously. So, right. yeah, I mean, he's denying trolling them while he, by trolling them. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I appreciate it because it's given us something to talk about. But at what point do you think this is a mistake or do you think it's just great that, uh, I mean, I know Gator fans are loving it and it's pissing off a lot of Georgia fans. So maybe it's working for him. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Dude, I've seen a couple Georgia fans like it. Just because, you know, we haven't had this since Steve Spurrier, you know, just mm-hmm. taking these little stabs. You remember he's talking about Tennessee doing cartwheels for winning eight games, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's the kind of attitude you like to have from some of these coaches. And, and now we're in this day and age when it's freaking Saban and his disciples and they, they're the same boring-ass press conferences, you know, mm-hmm. same scripted answers. And it's kind of nice having Dan up there just, you know, doing whatever he wants to do. And taking a stab at Georgia is awesome if you're a Gator fan. Now, if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, yeah, it kind of pisses you off. And it makes that game more important. But it also, I mean, that's why we love college football, man, is because these heated rivalries. And, and there's just, it feels like there's more on the line than like an NFL game. So uh, I love it. I wish more coaches would do that, getting at each other. Yeah, it is kind of reminiscent of, you know, days past and, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a game. And I know people take us very seriously. Obviously, we do. We sit around and bullshit about it here every week. But uh, it, it is kind of fun. And uh, it, it it brings back, like you said, I, I kind of wish more coaches would do this because yeah. at this point in the SEC, we just 
I don't know. We just got some guys that I don't even believe half the shit they say because they're just, it just seems like they're yeah. trying not to say anything at all. Uh, so I appreciate Dan Mullen doing this, but I just, I don't know if it's going to do his teams any, any favor <laughs> when they meet the Bulldogs. I mean, I think, uh, I think he's pushing it to the limit here. Yeah. Can you make fun of Vanderbilt or something? I mean, you have to pick <laughs> Georgia, the, the reigning East champ. So, uh, but no, I mean, that's what, I, I love it. It's what it makes, you know, what makes it great. Let me ask you, and I don't know if this is, if this is in our, uh, notes coming up, but did you see him in there, uh, what is the rebel rebel something uh, that lawsuit that he's involved with, involved in? Are you going to be touching on that at all? Yeah, well, we can certainly discuss it. I'm I've been trying to find you know a more verified source, but I did find uh, this guy's been tweeting out about it. I know he writes for. I need to look up this damn guy's name if we're going to talk about him. But he writes for one of the uh, Old Miss fan sided pages and. Uh, according to him, it looks like he's got legitimate documents here from the Mississippi Supreme Court that Dan Mullen, Scott Strickland, and the NCAA have have uh, lost their appeals to Rebel Rags. And for anyone that does not know what this is, uh, this was this was a thing about a year ago or two years ago, really, if you want to go back that far. When Dan Mullen was at Mississippi State, obviously all the bad blood there with Ole Miss. And the Mississippi State players came forward to the NCAA, kind of admitted some things, admitted that they were getting, you know, free clothes and whatnot from this Rebel Rag store. The NCAA kind of hammered Rebel Rags and Ole Miss, obviously, and got the owner of that store barred from going to Ole Miss and attending games and all that. So he's appealed all this stuff, and I guess it keeps getting sent up to the higher courts and the Mississippi State or excuse me, Mississippi Supreme Court has denied Dan Mullen and Scott Strickland and the NCAA of their appeals. So I don't know if this is going to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. I don't know what the next step is. I'm not an attorney, but if it doesn't, I think what this means is that they have to testify. And I, I don't know. I mean, because what Ole Miss and what this Rebel Rags guy is alleging, I keep in mind, I don't know. This is just what he's alleging. Is that is that Dan Mullen and right. Scott Strickland made up these allegations against Ole Miss, told their players to say it to the NCAA because they were cheating at Mississippi State, and they knew that if they spoke to the NCAA, they get they could get immunity, so that they could continue to play and they can make up these lies against Ole Miss, and they're saying that Dan Mullen put them up to it. So, if that's true. Which I really, I don't think it is because I, I don't understand why a coach and an, an administrator would risk their jobs and their future careers. I mean, right. if this is true, they'll never coach again. They'll never work in athletics again, just to hurt a rival. It, it seems far fetched, but I mean, if the Mississippi S Supreme Court is denying the, their appeals, uh, I'm not sure what the next step is here. But it looks like these are going to continue. So this is stuff from years and years ago. That's, I guess, just how long it, the court system takes. But, uh, I mean, this is a pretty big revelation from the state of Mississippi. I do not know when the next time we'll hear about this, but it's definitely not a, a good thing for Dan Mullen and Scott Strickland, at least in the courtroom. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a wild situation that uh, apparently it's not going away anytime soon. Now, Strickland, he's down at Yeah, Florida so he too, was the right? former AD at Mississippi State when Dan Mullen was there, and then he brought him to Florida a little while after he got to Gainesville. Oh, 
league. They are getting them all riled up, man. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I just saw that, and I saw you said something that he may have to testify, and I was just like, golly, what's going on down there? I almost forgot about it. I had to do some research because I forgot what the story was about. So Yeah, and just, I, I should also add this note of uh, – because I, you know, I want to be transparent on both sides. Dan Mullen's attorneys, Scott Strickland's attorneys, they have denied everything, and that's that's part of these appeals. So that's yeah. so they have spoken publicly, at least the attorneys, and they've denied all the allegations. So got to put that out there as well. And like I said, it's I find it very hard to believe that a coach and an administrator would do that just to get Ole Miss, but. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll we'll see if, if their day in court comes. <laughs> and I, I think Ole Miss attendance is going to be down this year, so they should probably let them come to a game, you know? <laughs> Wouldn't you think? Just like one more body in the stands? <laughs> <laughs> well, from what I understand, his his band ends in 2020, so he'll, he'll be there eventually. Oh, okay. All right. How long is the band for the guy that hit Nick Saban with a Coke? Do you know how long? Oh, that guy's banned for life, I think. Tennessee. Oh man! All right. Well, <laughs> hey, you see, he's got a hip. I don't know if we're talking about that, but you see, <laughs> yeah. So Nick Saban's got a new hip. It looks like he's going to be just fine. They say should be out six to eight weeks. Uh, Alabama officially announced that on Monday. Hip surgery went well. So great news for Alabama. Uh-huh. Terrible news for the rest of the SEC. He's just going to keep, and now he's got a new robotic hip to to keep going forever. Yeah, Miss Saban. She ain't gonna, she ain't gonna come to work for weeks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Papa, Papa Saban got him a new hip, so watch out. <laughs> well, speaking of administrators, Shane, we did not get a chance to talk about this yet, but big news out of the SEC West because Texas A&M lost their AD, Scott Woodward. A lot of people think he's the best AD, if not in the SEC, the entire nation. He went back home to LSU, Shane. Thoughts on uh, LSU? I mean, they got rid of Joe Oliva, who nobody liked, and they're getting someone that hired Jimbo Fisher. They hired Buzz Williams, the basketball coach. And for SEC fans that are unaware, this is the guy that also got Chris Peterson away from Boise State to Washington. So this guy's got a hell of a track record getting elite coaches to come to to schools. Uh, What are your thoughts on LSU hiring Scott Woodward? Let me ask you, Mike, who's more worried, Coach O or Texas A&M fans right now? Man, that's a good question because as soon as this became official, I did put this information as well, Shane. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Jimbo Fisher, while he does have this mega contract, 10 years, $7.5 million guaranteed for the length of it, his buyout at Texas A&M is $0. He can, he can walk away from that thing at any point. But, of course, then he'd be leaving the rest of the that salary. You know, he's not getting any of it. But if if right. LSU turned around and said, hey, here's, you know, 10 years, $90 million, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's well, free to take it. But uh, I, I don't think – I know a lot of people jump to that conclusion. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because Coach O, while he doesn't make a ton of money, his buyout is pretty significant for the next two seasons. So I think they're going to let this play out with Coach O. It seems to be going in the right direction. But if it doesn't, if it, things go sideways, um, I mean, LSU fans at least got to be feeling good that they have an AD that has a very strong track record of hiring coaches. And not only does he get, does he bring in elite coaches, he seemed to 
he just does it with no one, no knowledge out there. Like it just happens. And, and then right. it's like, my God, we just yeah. landed this fish. So, um, I think if I'm an LSU fan, obviously you want coach O to be successful, but if he's not, I think you got to be feeling good that you got Scott Woodward in there to bring in the next coach. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think it was a great move. Is there any particular reason why he chose that LSU? I mean, is he a, is that his alma mater? Yeah, or? so that's his alma, uh, alma mater. He's actually from Baton Rouge before that. Oh, okay. Uh, he's worked in Louisiana politics, so he's somewhat of a politician. And, I mean, he's worked in NCAA. Is he Democrat, Mike? <laughs> Coach O's, uh no comment on that one, but... He, so he's worked in politics. He's obviously worked in a, athletic uh, ad, administration. And the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, you know, before he was the president, he was an AD himself there at, uh, I believe, Washington and, and LSU. And this is the guy that worked directly under him. So he's got in good with the NCAA president. I mean, this guy has everything that you want. And he's also, you know, while we give him credit for hiring these great coaches, he's also known as a terrific fundraiser. So he basically is the entire package there, what you want in an AD. Uh, and now Texas A&M, no, no AD at this point, but they have named an interim. Uh, I don't know if you remember former coach R.C. Slocum. He coached before they joined the SEC, but he's the winningest coach in Texas A&M history. He's their new AD for the time being. Uh, he may he may f- get the full-time role. I have no idea. I, I don't want to speculate on that, but um, at least for the time being, that's a- A&M's AD. Well, interesting, man. I mean, I'm, I'm not like you. I'm not too worried right now because I think a lot of this has still got to play out. Mm-hmm. But my first reaction is knowing Jimbo's buyout, who wrote that contract, and now he's at LSU, you know? <laughs> the conspiracy theorist in me is just like, maybe this was uh, planned already. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's get you some money while we wait for this LSU gig. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I don't know, uh, maybe I'm just reading too much into yeah, it. Yeah. And obviously the big story there, LSU has tried to hire Jimbo twice before, but he didn't want to go work for that Joe Oliva and no one can blame him yeah. on that one. Scott Woodward was officially announced by LSU on Tuesday and there was coach O he was president for the press conference and we got a quick clip here. Coach O was asked immediately after the presser what he thinks of Scott Woodward working for his new boss here. Uh, let's jump to Coach O here. We're excited about Scott. I thought he had a great interview here. I met him today. Great guy, very supportive. Looking forward to working with him. Awesome. Uh, have, y'all, um, have y'all known each other in the past? Or are y'all um, good friends from uh... No, you know, I met him down here. You know, he okay. has a camp in Port Fouchon, which is near my home down there. He's a duck hunter, a fisherman. He knows a lot of people that I know down there. But, you know, today was the first time I actually sat down and had a conversation. And uh, what are your thoughts on how, you know, he talked about competing in the SEC with these other top-notch programs in Alabama, Auburn, Florida? Uh, your That's on? what we're here for. We're here to win championships. We know the expectations of LSU. I knew that when I got hired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you appreciate his, his, uh, thought, his thoughts on you um, whenever he said, you know, he knows how to get it done. Uh, yeah, yeah it's good. You know, he's been supportive. He's going to be supportive of us. But obviously we know we have to win here at LSU. That's what every coach has to do. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right, Shane. So I don't know, Coach O. I thought he, that was kind of awkward, but uh, I think he played it off well. But I was very surprised. I know the weekend it was a holiday and it was Easter weekend and everything, but I was very surprised to hear Coach O say he had not met Scott Woodward until now. When you 
consider Scott Woodward was named last week officially as the AD in LSU. Does that strike you as a, at all? A little bit, a little bit. Makes you makes you worry a little bit if you're a Coach O fan, which I am. Uh, you would think, you know, somebody that's a hardcore LSU fan, you know, uh, you know, alma mater like we talked about, that they would have crossed paths at some point while he's down there. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that that hasn't happened, and he's been down there. Hell, he's been down there probably for a month now. And uh, you, you just now meeting him. Yeah, I'm a little worried if I'm Coach O. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to make of this. I, I'm just I'm just hoping for Coach O's sake he's got a big year. Because if not, I mean, these, this discussion is that's not going to go away. And that's the thing, Mike. I really am expecting, expecting a big year from LSU. I, I think they're going to surprise even more people than they did last year. I just I love this new offense. It's that same aggressive defense. Uh, they're deep. They're talented. Um, I think if Coach O wins them over, man, who knows? We may be talking about putting a statue out front of Coach O, you know? <laughs> All right, Shade, sticking in the SEC West, one team and one coach you are not that high on, Gus Malzahn. He was on Paul Feinbaum's show the other day, and – you know, he was asked about the t- typical offseason, how the offense is looking, how the quarterbacks are looking. But I thought the most interesting thing he had to say was about uh, taking back the offensive play calling heading into next year. Uh, let's jump to these comments and then we'll discuss them. You and I talked about this last time we visited. Uh, play calling is something that you've been very candid that you enjoy doing. Uh, it's been a big part of your career. You've decided to resume calling the plays and people have asked me it says well why hadn't he always called the plays this is something that you really based on our conversation something you really enjoy oh there's no doubt I mean that's who I am I'm a football coach at my core and uh, real excited uh, to get back out there and work with the offense put offense together Um, you know this spring was very refreshing you know uh, in this business this type of job you live and learn and uh, you know two and a half years ago decided to step back and let other people call plays but uh you know i'm really excited uh, the bowl game was a lot of fun and this spring was and really looking forward to calling plays in the fall all right Shane. so i think the part of of that that really stood out to me just kind of why i wanted to include this whole thing was gus malzahn kind of admitting that he made a mistake handing over the reins of his offense that's how he got this job you know initially his outstanding reputation as a play caller that when he was the offensive coordinator there at Auburn, you know they won. They obviously won the national championship with Cam Newton. So my question to you, Shane, is: Do you? I know you're down on them. You're down on Gus Malzahn. You're kind of down on the Tigers. If Gus Malzahn can kind of recapture that magic play calling, and it looked like he certainly did against the Music City Bowl. I know it was against Purdue, but they beat the shit out of Purdue. If they can recapture that magic, where I, I specifically, I guess, him calling the plays, is there a chance Auburn exceeds your expectations on the field this year? Nope. I just don't see it, man. <laughs> I, I'm just not a fan. And I'm not against Gus. One of the things that, that drives me nuts is how everyone is pumping up his ability to coach offense. You know? I mean, just because here we're, like, for me, as a, as a Tennessee fan, just last week, there was Pruitt, there were some other coaches talking about how important it was for Pruitt to step away from the defense, to let Derek Ansley do more hands-on, control the defense, that now he can, that, you know, so he can look at the team as a whole. And, yes, 
is this going to help that Gus is coaching the offense? I think so because I think Gus is probably the best offensive coordinator on that team, without a doubt. But where is it going to hurt? Because if he's spending all of his time with the offense, with the quarterback, uh, it's going to take its toll, maybe in the special teams, maybe in the defense, maybe on the offense in general, because he can't sit back and watch what another coach is doing and say, wait, we need to, you know, tweak it this way, tweak it that way. There's not an overseer. So, um, you know, you live and die on this hill. So I'm a little concerned when people are pumping up him being as a coordinator uh, because there's nobody going to be there to judge him and help him get better until it's, you know, you're watching film the next day, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I just think <laughs> I think you're a little too down on Auburn, Shane. This is the – and this I, is a. I saw your power rankings. You're you're pretty high on them. What do you? I mean, what do you think they finished this year? Well, Shane, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're pretty high on them. We're like we're like bipolar here. We'll we'll get to that in just a moment. But <laughs> look at it this way, Shane. In years past, we've had reports of essentially the offense having to filter play calling through Gus Malzahn. Yeah. It just seemed like in so many games, you know, they jump out to a big lead and then they get super conservative or they start out conservative and then they get really aggressive. It just, they had no identity. They didn't know what they wanted to be. They had Jarrett Stidham, who I think was, he'll probably be better in the NFL than he was in college because he wasn't that good last year. They didn't have a quarterback that fit it. The off The running game was forced last year. And now with this guy taking over, at least if he's going to go down, he's going to go out doing it his way. He's going to be calling the plays. I think they're going to get back to that running game. I think they're going to get back to a quarterback that's very mobile. And Gus, Gus Malzahn can, can dial him up, Shane. He can dial up some magic. And if that defense, if, if it's still solid, they get Alabama at home. They get Georgia at home. I mean, this is the year of their schedule where they get everybody at, that they want at home. I don't know. I, I think there's a real chance that you're underrating what Auburn can do this year. Uh, and I think, I don't know, I think the, the fact that he's willing to admit that he made a mistake and, and he's seizing the control of it, that's what I want to hear from Gus Malzahn this offseason. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm, again, just we're, we're talking about how bad he did last year because he was filtering the offense. Mm-hmm. So now that, there's no filter. The filter's off. He, is, he has got the range. So, you know, some of those situations we did not like or appreciate last year, we're just, it just feels like we're going to see more of them now. I know he's had, you know, he's had some great years in the past, but you know he's had better talent back then. So, not not saying that he doesn't have talent. I think that defensive line is probably one of the best defensive lines in the country. But, I, you know, he's got some pieces there. The receivers were looking good, but I'm still I'm still worried. That, you know that he's going to be so focused on one aspect to the game that he's going to that he's going to lose. He's going to lose his control on the other. Well, Shane, I've already made a tattoo bet on Missouri. I think by by the end of the offseason, I'm going to have you making an Auburn bet, <laughs> tattoo bet, if they win the SEC West or SEC. Oh, <laughs> you, you may have. You... I'm feeling it, man. <laughs> Let me see who they name quarterback first, and then we'll go. <laughs> All right, Shane, final team I have to hit on here. Let's jump to, over to Lexington, where old Kentucky. Backup quarterback Gunnar Hoke. We know we kind of teased this before. It sounded like Mark Stoops was anticipating Hoke may leave. And Hoke announced on Tuesday he has entered the NCAA transfer portal. But 
in his message, he noted, you know, he's just exploring his options. It doesn't sound like it's guaranteed that he's going to leave. And that's kind of what Mark Stoops hit on. He was asked about it on Tuesday. Uh, let's jump to Mark Stoops' comments here. Yeah, well, obviously we get there, you know, with Danny uh, moving on. And, you know, listen, we're not uncommon to that. You know, it's unfortunately it's part of this situation right now and with college football and college athletics, and uh, we have to deal with it. And um, so uh, Gunnar and I had a great talk yesterday. He's, you know, he's a great kid. And, and as I told him, uh, you know, he really had a good spring. I told you all that after one of the scrimmages that he really – played well as good as I've seen him play and um, you know I think uh, you know you understand that uh, because he's a competitor and he wants to play he, he uh, it's not a done deal that he's going to go somewhere else um, so um, I think he's going to look at it and just check his options and and uh, you know I told him that we would have a, another discussion about it at a later time and you know we'll see where that goes and I just want to be supportive of him and uh, his decision and I think Mark Stoops really handled this as best as he possibly could. And I'll tell you why, Shane, because, you know, we're in this new era. Everybody's in this damn transfer portal, but, but they're not officially gone. You know, there's still a chance for the team to, to get their player back. We've seen it at a couple schools. And so this way, Mark Stoops is very, very much so leaving the door open for Gunnar Hoke to return, he needs Gunnar Hoke. Particularly, you know, we're still... I mean, Terry Wilson looked great in the spring game. It sounds like he's really progressed his game. But I don't think it's fair to say that he's a slam dunk, you know, all SEC type player. And not only that, but he's such a runner that, you know, he could get hurt at any time. And he's a smaller guy too. So uh, Kentucky, I think, really needs to hold on to Gunnar Hoke. But at the same time, he's going to support Gunnar Hoke because I think he understands. I mean, I'm just making this up, but let's say a Boston College or an NC State or something like that. If they come to Gunnar Hoke and say, hey, we've got no quarterback. You can come in and start. I think he understands why Gunnar Hoke's got to take that option. But at the same time, if it's just someone like Ohio State or, uh, I don't know, Georgia, if they're like, hey, come be our backup. I mean, that's the same position he's in at Kentucky. So I just I just think Mark Stoops is playing this perfectly where you got to support your guy, but at the same time, you leave the door open and let's review these options. And if the option's not, a, you know, a, a, almost a guaranteed starting spot, come back to Kentucky where we really need you and, and we'll, we'll let you on the field. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think he's a – I mean, this just shows you what kind of coach he is. He's like a player's coach. I mean, when's the last time you heard a coach be this open about a transfer portal and about a kid that may or may not go, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, most, most coaches are offended that they're even thinking about leaving the university, but not students, you know? It's just, hey, I, he, I'm thinking about Gunner. I want I want Gunner to do what's best for him. If he finds another, you know, position somewhere and he wants to go, I support it. And if he decides to stay... Absolutely, we'd love to have him. We need him. Um, I, I think he's a great asset to our team. I think this is just, like you said, it's well played, and, and it speaks volumes. You know, if, you're, if I'm a recruit and I'm seeing this play out, you know, just how open and honest my coach is. So uh, you got to be kind of excited if you're thinking about doing that. But let me ask you, if Gunner did 
sleeve. And let's say he could pick any team in the SEC. Uh, where where could you see him landing? Arkansas. <laughs> well, no, I. Came across. I think honestly, I think uh, may, I think maybe Vanderbilt would make some sense. Maybe. Uh, Missouri. I mean, he's got two years. Missouri potentially, but they actually landed. A graduate, or not a a not a graduate transfer. We all know Kelly Kelly Bryant's a graduate transfer, but they landed TCU transfer quarterback who's sitting out the year. So Missouri's pretty stacked. Uh, you know, maybe yeah. Ole Miss, but I think they're pretty set with Matt Corral. So I don't know. I I yeah. think if Gunnar Hoke leaves, he's got to leave the SEC for it for an immediate starting role. I got you. Yeah, I just I, he had flashes. I think he's a. I think he's. A, a good good quarterback, you know, I think. But I don't blame him for leaving. I mean, Wilson's going to be there for the next two years. Obviously, he can't beat him out. So, you know, I mean, you only are in college once. So, I can't fault the kid for wanting to go somewhere and play. All right, Shane. So, outside of the SEC, we actually have some NCAA news that we got to talk about here. The yeah. NCAA has announced a couple changes here specifically to targeting, that's the biggest one, and what the new rule states, Shane. So targeting is already, every targeting call is reviewed as it is, but the new adjustment is that no longer will they be able to call targeting and then just, you know, if they can't confirm it, the play stands. That That's done with. So the change is every targeting call must be either confirmed or overturned. Those are the only two options. And if any part of the targeting cannot be confirmed by replay, then it is said to be overturned. Players don't get ejected. No 15-yard penalty. And I think that's kind of a good rule. I mean, targeting is kind of wonky as it is. So at least you either got to you have to confirm it or you have to overturn it. There's no gray area if that makes sense. Yeah. Still a fan of the, the different levels, but yeah, I, I guess we could go with that. <laughs> oh, Will Muschamp got denied once again there on that one, unfortunately. Well, I mean, well, we kind of have it, you know, roughing the kicker and then unnecessary roughness. You know, it's, it's there's a difference: fifteen yards and a first down and a five-yard penalty. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I think targeting should be the same thing. Hell, if we're going to replay it anyway, we might as well look and see if it's a flagrant foul. And the other rule we have, this is the one that's kind of getting the most reaction from the fans. Overtime, college overtime is slightly changing. The first four overtimes are the same. So nothing's going to change if if a game only goes to four overtimes. But where the change comes in, if a game goes into a fifth overtime, then it just becomes a damn two-point conversion contest where they just put the ball at the two-and-a-half-yard line and just it's just one you know, one offensive play and, and and so back and forth until someone scores and someone doesn't. What are your thoughts on this? All right, so the first four are the same, and then after that it's just basically a two-point conversion from the two-yard line, right? Right, alternating two-point attempts. Alternating. That, yeah, I don't like that. I think <laughs> just because it's <laughs> – it takes so long to switch offense and defense. I mean, I don't just keep it the same. I mean, could you imagine? We could. There's chance that we could have 20 overtimes. You know what I'm saying with this new thing. <laughs> I mean, especially the the more tired they get, it may be easier for them to get in the end zone. So, right. yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of this. Yeah, I mean, 
we've only I looked it up, Shane. We've only had five games in twenty five years. This is specifically in the SEC I'm talking about. Five games in twenty five years that have gone to a fifth overtime. So, you know, hopefully this is not going to happen that often. But it does seem kind of weird to just kind of switch it up at this point. I I think they're doing it for player safety. They don't want what they really don't want is a game in like late August, early September, going into nine overtimes and and someone you know overheating on the damn field. That would be terrible. But um, I, I don't know. I, I think if anything, what they should have done is, you know, maybe in a second overtime, instead of the ball being on the 25, maybe move it to the 35. Yeah. And, and the reason I like that is because I, I think a field goal from the 25 is basically automatic. So if you're, if you're moving it, if right. you're moving it to the 35, maybe you get a missed kick and then the other team comes out and, and they make their kick and the game's over. So I, and that adds more defense and special teams if you're moving the ball back a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not a totally. I'm not totally against this rule, but I'm not really sure that this is the the way I would go about it. We could switch it to wildcat. Like after the fourth series, it goes to wildcat rules. You know, <laughs> and you can throw for it anywhere you're at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Well, it'll happen in like two games this year. Mm. We just talked about how often it doesn't happen, but I don't know. We'll see, but it just, I don't know. It, it, the records, you know the thing that gets me, Mike, is is record. Here here we've got hundreds of years of playing college football, mm-hmm. and, you, you know, the rules have changed along the way, but here we got a record for the most overtime in, in one game. That's going to get crushed. If somebody gets past five, it's going to get crushed. There'll be a 15-overtime game, and then we no longer talk about the Texas A&M-LSU game. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the one thing that drives me nuts. Unlike the NFL where they moved back the extra points, uh, you know, the efficiency. We're going to talk about how great a kicker was 50 years ago because he was kicking from the 15-yard line as opposed to a 35. You know, when you change these rules – I, it changes the history. That's the one thing that drives me nuts is because, you know, the, you're, you're setting the bar because you changed the rule, not because somebody just outperformed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Shane. The guy that teaches the history lesson does not like his history <laughs> messed with. Which No, I don't. The history is kind of what makes college football so great. So, I mean, that that's a good point there. Damn right it is. All right, Shane. Final thing I wanted to hit on before we jump off here. We got some quarterback rankings, some SEC power rankings. Uh, we each individually gave our quarterback rankings exiting the spring. I'll start off with mine, Shane. I'm going to go in order from top to bottom. Uh, obviously, I got Tua, number one, best, the best quarterback in the SEC. Jake Fromm, number two. Joe Burrow, number three. Felipe Franks, number four. Jared Garantano, number five. Jake Bentley, number six. Kelly Bryant, number seven. Kellen Mond, number eight. Nick Starkle, number nine. So I've got him winning the Arkansas uh, competition. Terry Wilson, number 10. Keaton Thompson, number 11. Matt Corral, number 12. Bo Nix, 13. So I think he's going to win the Auburn starting quarterback competition. And then Riley Neal, the Vanderbilt quarterback. And here's what you got, Shane. A little bit different. Tua, number one. Jake Fromm, number two. You got Kelly Bryant all the way up at number three. 
Joe Burrow, number four. Felipe Franks, number five. You got Jake Bentley, number six. Kellen Mond, number seven. Jarrett Garantano, Shane's uh, mortal enemy, apparently, number eight. Terry Wilson, number nine. Matt Corral, number 10. Joey Gatewood, number 11. Keaton Thompson, number 12. Ben Hicks, you're wrong about that one, Shane, number 13. And Riley Neal, it looks like we both hate Riley Neal, number 14. Why, why do you have Garantano so low on your list, Shane? Let's start there. Well, that's the thing. When you get past, for me personally, when you get past three, mm-hmm. I think it gets a little, I think it gets closer, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. You know, I, I think when you're looking at Tua and from, it's a 1A, 1B situation. And, and one of our buddies there on Reddit, you know, called us out for the from. Let me ask you real quick before we jump too deep in this list. From, do you think From's a better college quarterback? Let's say, who would you draft? Would you draft Tua or would you draft From? I think I would take Tua, but I'll switch that up if he gets hurt again this year because we've never really seen Tua go through a whole year without getting hurt. And I think that's a huge part of being a quarterback, obviously, playing through pain. You know, Brett Favre is my number one all-time quarterback, and that's a big reason why. Uh, Jake Fromm, you know, he's done it all. I mean, he's had a bad game here or there, but not, you know, it's never been consistently poor. Uh, He's obviously a natural leader. He's, hell, Shane, I I went back and watched that QB1 series on him in high school. He's, He's getting hospitalized because he's overtraining in high school. I mean, this is a guy that's like programmed to be great. And I think he's been that in his college career. I think he will be that in the NFL. And that's, that's my point. I think Tom will be a better NFL quarterback than Tua. And not, not by much. I'm not saying that they're just going to be not in a day, not in a day difference, but the reason I like Tua so much in college is just because of that mobility factor. You know, when you get up to the NFL, there's no sideline to sideline anymore. Everybody's fast. And you're the slowest. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, Tua really could get hurt in the NFL. If he's already getting banged up in college, I'm worried about the mobility in the NFL. That's why I would take Fromm over Tua. Now, I said all that to say this. I think Tua's better in college. I, I just uh, – his progressions, his his accuracy, he just – he's dynamite. And just like Fromm, but he has the ability to move around that pocket a little bit easier than Fromm does. So – that's why I had – so. We're, we're, but, again, we're talking minute difference, 1A, 1B type of situation. Now, Garantano, I, I saw flashes. I think Garantano can be a great quarterback. But unlike some of these guys on this list, I'm a little worried about the weapons that he has around him. And, you know, when you take somebody like uh, – like – like Burroughs, or Burrow, sorry. You know, he just, they are loaded at wide receiver. I mean, absolutely loaded. Their second team is just as competitive as our first team in Tennessee. That's what concerns me is just how deep they are. Burrow has a lot of, he has a lot of places to go with the football, and those players are going to make pass, make, they're going to make him look better. When he throws a 50-50 ball and they high point that thing, uh, those receivers are going to make him look better. So that's when I say there's a, they're not a big difference. It's just 
there's a group. That second group is just really close, in my opinion. So let me ask you about Kelly Bryant. You got him all the way up at number three. I've got him at number seven. What makes you so high on Kelly Bryant? Now, Kelly, I don't think he's in that group uh, that we were just discussing. I really, I think it's 1A, 1B, and then two is Kelly. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that I love about him is the stage isn't going to be too big for him. He's been... He's been to a national championship. He's been, you know, he's got, maybe he doesn't have the weapons he did at Clemson, but what he does with his legs will blow your mind. And a lot of people forget just how mobile he is. Well, it's been a while since he's played some football, man. And I'm telling you, he looked great during the spring game. If you want to run an RPO you and you've got a quarterback like Kelly Bryant, it's going to make your job easy. Uh, one thing I did know, that you pointed out on Twitter that uh, uh, Coach has been working with them. Uh, what's his name? Bobby. Oh, Harley Davidson. Bobby Petrino. Petrino. Yeah. I had no idea he was over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that but was something looked, I think no one was supposed to <laughs> was supposed to say, no. but uh, I, I'm glad uh, it got out there. No, I mean, you're fine to do it, but the guy, it was a former Arkansas quarterback, went on the radio and announced that, and then Arkansas, or excuse me, Missouri, had to shut that down immediately uh, for whatever reason, I don't think Bobby Petrino wanted it known that he was up there. But yeah, I think I think yeah. that will certainly help him. You look at uh, you know Bobby Petrino, obviously helped Lamar Jackson get to the NFL. Uh, Derek Dooley and and Petrino could do the same for Kelly Bryant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just Ke- Kelly looked so good in the spring game, and I know it's a spring game, but you know he his progression. He was he had his checkdown guys already ready to go. And he was not afraid to tuck the ball and go. And even though you're out, if you get tagged in spring ball, sometimes he was seven, eight yards down the field before anybody got near him. So uh, I just think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. All right, Shane, this one went a little long. Obviously, for those that couldn't tell, Shane's on the road. He's trucking it up to Louisville. <laughs> Isn't that right? Bowling Green, something like that? Uh, Bowling yeah, Western Kentucky. I'm going to go see my boy Helton, see how he's doing, see if he got fired yet. Uh, hey man, do we got a chance to read a review? Yeah, you got that on hand, or do you need me to handle that one? Uh, I can text and drop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I, I'm I'm drinking uh, Diet Coke. That wasn't no, that wasn't no brewski, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Don't drink and drive. Let's see here. All right, Mike, cue the music, brother. All right, this one, man, this guy is right on my ass. I hope that's not a cop. I mean, I literally was going 50 miles an hour. Let me, let me speed that a little bit, make sense. Okay, all right, here we go. Cut that part out. All right, first off, I uh, appreciate all the listeners hanging out with us. Uh, we did get a couple of ghost reviews, um, so I think we got three of them here this last week. I don't know who you are, but you do, and we appreciate you. Now, Thursday, uh, Bowen, Virginia, gave us five stars. Outstanding. I, th- I, I believe that's Vol in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> I swear it's not Coke, guys. I swear. <laughs> so maybe I should. Yeah, I really should have had you read these. Vol in Virginia. That makes perfect sense. It looks like one. I need some glasses or something. So, Bowen, it's five star. Outstanding SEC podcast. 
very informative and unbiased reviews of all SEC teams. You guys do an outstanding job. Go Big Orange, buddy. So, Fallen uh, Virginia, I appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate all our listeners, all the reviewers, all the ghost reviews, whatever you want to leave us, any kind of support. We appreciate all of it. That really helps the podcast. I think that's going to do it for this one, Shane. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go ball. (laughs) Ball in Virginia. (laughs) Ball. Know that I'm on the road too, just in case they hear all this road noise and they think our quality went to.